we're blessed tonight. God is at work. God is at work in your community. God is at work in your church. Brother Church, how many young people, you and Sister Church, went to a Ukrainian Pentecostal church in Oshawa last Saturday night? Brother Dennis Brown preached. How many got the Holy Ghost? Five young people got the Holy Ghost at a Ukrainian Pentecostal church in Oshawa. God is at work. I'm telling you, God is at work. Brother and Sister Mark Harris are here. I think it was approximately two or three weeks ago that Brother Green and Brother Grenville McKenzie and I set their church in order. Can I tell you, God is at work in the Ontario district. We gotta be all in. Brother Gurley, we're thrilled you're here. God bless you in Jesus' name. Well, everybody wave your Canadian flag. I'm telling you. We just... All 40 million souls, all 15 million souls here in Ontario, that's what this represents. We lift the name of Jesus over this entire province. We lift the name of Jesus. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord. Mm, 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 mm. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. We love Canada. It's my wife and I, it's one of our, it's on our bucket list. And one of these days we're going to do it. We want to get on the Trans-Canadian Railroad and go the entire distance. You know, I've been one of those top where you have the full vision. We'll get a sunburn and uh, being up there, but just a dream, just a dream. One of these days, one of these days we're going to do it. Of course, if we start from the West, it's going to be very hard to get my wife out of Banff if we ever do that. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll work on it. But I was, uh, if I had any doubt about what I'm going to preach, and by the way, Healthy Churches, I'm going to do it one of the sessions tomorrow. And, um, and actually, it was Brother McLaughlin the stickler at the men's conference who really so encouraged me to just keep pushing and get that thing developed and so we have a debt here to Ontario in many ways but I was standing this afternoon doing my traditional Canadian ritual you know standing in Tim Hortons <laughs> bowing five times toward the true north you know I mean that just just my, my, my ritual. My wife called and she was crying. And, um, and I said, baby, could you hold? They're about to take my order. No. And, uh, <laughs> you have to get your priorities, you know. <laughs> and she told me a story. And it broke me up. And if I had any doubts about what I'm preaching tonight, that story this afternoon, because what I'm going to preach to you is what God spoke to me while I was weeping, driving through the Northeast United States after having preached a con conference. And I was saying, God, 
our church is dead. It's dead. 80% of the church had left after a storm. We're dead. And God put a word in my heart. Now, for about 12 years, I've been preaching this message. And I unashamedly camp on this theme. I preached it in a hundred different ways. And this is going to be maybe 101. But the story I heard today was a story of how a young man was saved from depression. How his family, pastoral family, was completely turned around. And how a very staid, traditional church became married to their community and began to make a difference in their lives. And they said it all started with one word. And that's the word I'm going to share with you now. Can we just lift up our hands? And let's just, let's just ask God. Let's just ask God. Oh, praise the Lord. I feel the presence of God. I feel the presence of God. Hallelujah to your name. Hallelujah to your name. Over every soul in Ontario, God. Over every soul, oh Lord, uh, represented in this room, God. I give you praise. We give you glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. And someone say amen. You may be seated. The Great Reset. I would like to share it with you today. Let me start with a question. And the question is this. Are you ready? Do you have your steel-toed high heels on right now, ladies? Do you have your steel-toed boots on, men? Because this question is going to set you back. Are you ready? You got your... You got your seatbelts on, and uh, you ready? Your shoulders to the back of the chair. Here we go. Have we fallen so in love with what we enjoy doing that we forget what we are called to do? You see, I think at times we're struck with amnesia. We get in a repetitive loop, and we don't remember our purpose, our mission. Have we fallen so in love with what we enjoy doing, that we forget what we are called to do. The answer to that question in churches across America, and then I'll give some Canadian statistics here in a moment. In churches across America, that answer may be affirmative. Look at this, 344,000 churches in the U.S., 300,000 of them are declining only 44,000 holding their own or growing some. Let me just give you the exact. Out of that 44,000, only 6% are growing. The rest are just holding their own. Have we fallen so in love with what we're doing that we forget what we are called to do? And that was pre-pandemic. Canada... The current state of Christianity in Canada, the declining share of Canadians identifying as Christians, 55%. The majority say religion has less influence in public life, 64%. Only three in 10 says their faith is important to them. Two-thirds said you don't need to have faith to be good. And again, that was pre-pandemic. In effect, what has happened in Europe is sweeping through North America right now. Again, I ask you, have we fallen so in love with what we enjoy doing 
that we forget what we are called to do. Why are churches declining? I could give you the 30,000 foot view and I'll share a little more tomorrow. Talk, I could talk about the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist of the end times. I could talk about dissolving family structures and so forth. And that's all helpful to know that nothing happens in a vacuum. That's very helpful to know, but that's not all there is to it. The, if you really want to get down to why a church is declining, here it is. It's an inward focus. After studying thousands of churches, inward focus has several qualities. This is an inward focused church. Can I give you the characteristics of an inward focused church? There are few attempts to minister to those within the community. That's number one. Number two, the church agrees. The church argues over preferences and desires. Number three, people are critical of leaders and volunteers. Anytime you hear church members sniping about what's going on in church, Watch out, you are in an inward-focused church. Is that all right? Here's the next one. Any change necessary to become a great commission church is met with anger and resistance. Do, do, do you know that in the seven churches of Asia, Revelation 2 and 3, do you, remember, do you remember that the first one was the church of Ephesus? The next five, the church in Sardis, in Pergamos, in Thyatira. The last one, the church of the Laodiceans. We need to get it clear whose church this is. Because in the last days, people will say, I own this church. The church of the Laodiceans. It belongs to us. We don't own this church. We don't own this beautiful building, evidence of so much sacrifice. What Brother Castro decided, there's so much sacrifice, but it's not our church. It's not Brother Gurley's church. It's not Brother Eastman's church. It's not Brother Thompson's church. No, no. This is his church that he purchased with his own blood. Are we doing all right out there? Here's another, here's another one. The past becomes the hero. Oh my, oh my. People are more into monuments than movements. They want to celebrate the sepia-toned scrapbook photos rather than the living color individuals right in front of them. Here, here's another quality of an inward-focused church. Culture is seen as the enemy instead of an opportunity for believers. We're called salt and light for a reason, folks. And that culture is not our enemy. It's just the backdrop against which we operate. And they're always going to display a diamond against the velvet black because it highlights the beauty of the diamond. The darker the culture gets, 
the more obtuse and, and, and almost insane the culture gets. This is where the church begins to rise and we begin to shine as never before. And finally, the characteristic of a inward-focused church is pastors and church leaders get discouraged. You want to talk about a church that will sap ministry dry? It's an inward-focused church because the theme of that church is never enough. You've not done enough for me lately. I need more. I need more. Spiritually overfed and under-exercised and inward-focused church. Our people have already heard enough to win the world. They don't need more sermons. If good sermons and good singing could save the world, we would have the biggest, most powerful, and most numerous churches in the world. But it's more than just singing, and it's more than just preaching. It's connecting with a community and realizing the purpose for which we are here. Again, I ask, have we fallen so in love with what we're doing that we forget? what we're called to do was the former president of Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. He told this story and I had to, I had to really dig to find the details of this story. Uh, He saw an advertisement or is it advertisement? What is it? What is it up here? What? How many vote for advertisement? How many vote for advertisement? Well, we've got a split crowd here. The problem here is disunity. I feel it right now. I just sense it. (laughs) He saw an ad in the Atlanta area for the Church of God grill. (laughs) Should have just said that. It just marked that out right there. He was struck with the unusual name, the Church of God grill. So he called the restaurant and eventually got to the manager he said, what about this name? He said, well, he said, we started a little church down here in Atlanta. We started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Not too many people came to church, but boy, they came for those chicken dinners. And we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on our church services so we could sell more chicken dinners. And after a while, we just closed the church altogether, but we kept serving chicken dinners And we kept the name we started with, and that's the Church of God Grill. Have we fallen so in love with what we're doing that we forget what we are called to do? Oh, my. Oh, my. Driving through Northeast United States, God spoke to me. He said, if you want your church to come back from the grave... If you want to see a church that will transform a community, you get one word and one word in your mind, others. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the people seated on chairs or the pew. It's about the people that are not inside. 
that are not inside of the building. You know what I did? I, I, I went home. I went home and we made, we made 600 silhouettes because that's the empty chairs we have in the building. We made silhouettes of people of all shapes and sizes, and we put them out in the building. So the next time our little church got together, they had to sit amongst the silhouettes. Uh, we spaced them out uh, where our crowd would look a little bigger. I'm telling you what, there's a reason they put those duck detour decoys on the lake. Uh, it may attract the real ducks. But you know what we saw when we began to say it's about those people who those silhouettes represent? It's not about us. That's no, no longer an empty chair. That is a person. We just don't know their name yet. We don't know where they're from. Uh, but do you know over the course of the year, and I wish I had the photos here, you would see those silhouettes disappearing uh, in our congregation as real live people began to fill those seats. Uh, and as 600 silhouettes uh, were replaced, uh, you know why? God is in the business. Uh, He's in the other's business. Uh, he's not in my harmonica playing. He's not in my accordion solo. Uh, he's not in me getting up uh, and scratching an itch. Uh, it's not about me. Uh, it's about others. Uh, it's about others. Uh, my identity, who I am, uh, is wrapped up in my mission. I gave you the characteristic of an inward-focused church. How about an outward-focused church? That prayer meetings are not dominated. I call them organ prayers. Organ prayers. Pray for my liver. Pray for my heart. How are we doing? In fact, we just pretty much stopped doing that. Pray for my arthritis, my lumbago, my Congolese slow rot, my Tibetan elbow fever. My, have you ever noticed we put the personal possessive on our diseases? We take ownership of our diseases. Why don't we take ownership of a revival? Why don't we be all in? How are we doing? We doing okay? You say, time out, I need a tourniquet, Brother Curly. I need a tourniquet. I'm bleeding pretty bad out here. It's like razors coming from the pulpit. Okay, I'll, I'll behave myself. Prayer meetings are dominated praying for the lost. When you start seeing nine-tenths of your prayer request, pray for the person I've witnessed to. Pray for my school. Pray for my neighborhood. You're starting to see the development of an others-focused church. We doing good? Second, small groups actively seek to reach the community. We had 114 small groups meeting during the pandemic. When we could not have service, our small groups were meeting. Do you know one of the most successful small groups we have? A man who lived in a neighborhood. He was just weary of all the mandates and the distancing. And I do pastor in Texas and some unusual folks here, folks. We do have a security guard, but let me just say that in Texas, that's not the only gun in the room. I smile a lot more when I'm preaching in Texas. You just don't know who's packing in the, out there. And uh, I, I, yeah. But the most successful small group in, during the pandemic was so creative. 
It was so creative. A man went into his garage, pulled out some sawhorses, workbenches, and just stretched them across the street at the edge of the cul-de-sac. He just blocked off the circle. He put his fire pit in the middle of the circle, brought his lawn chairs out there and a guitar, and just started singing, making s'mores, hanging out in the blocked-off cul-de-sac. Within an hour, 150 people had brought their lawn chairs and were sitting outside just singing, praying for one another, worshiping God. That cul-de-sac small group went through the entire pandemic outdoors praising God, and it started replicating itself. Oh, my. Oh, my. We don't do small groups to just find 12 people in the church to do things with us. It's not a good small group unless half of the small group are people that don't even know this gospel. Uh, That's how it works. Is that all right? Is that all right? Here's another element of an outward-focused church. Church members recognize the changing community and talk about how to reach people. The church grieves when the altars are empty and the baptistry is unused. I don't preach without inviting people to be baptized. But can I tell you how many times I preached and invited people to be baptized in churches to find out the baptistry's empty? Hasn't been used in two years. They don't baptize people. Have we fallen so in love with what we're doing? that we forgot what we were called to do. I'm called to make saints. I'm called to make disciples. Uh, Each service is filled with guests invited by members. Church supports reach all languages, ethnics, and social groups. Uh, They sang that song a moment ago, For Every Mountain. It's always been one of my favorite songs, but now it has a different meaning for me. Because two years ago, this coming summer, uh, I don't, I'm sure the news swept up here. A man named George Floyd, a Houstonian, was killed in Minneapolis. George was buried in Houston. I went to the funeral. He was, he, he, or the funeral, it was in Houston. He was buried in Pearland, the suburb where I pastor. I didn't have to tell our people to do it. They just did it. They lined up the two miles on a hot summer day as George Floyd's family They brought the casket down and they were walking behind the casket all the way to the graveside. Our people were out there with ice chest handing out cold bottles of water. You don't have to tell people when they get others focused and outward focused, it's not a program, it's not a plan, it's a perspective that somebody said, you know what, we need to do that. Let's get all the ice chests we can find. Those family members, those people coming to that funeral, they're going to be so hot when they get there after a long day. Folks, this is not about reaching. If you look around in your building, I want to I help somebody here. If you pastor a church in Ontario and you are not thought of as being liberal, then you're not reaching the lost. Can I help you? Can I help you? If everybody in your building looks like you, you're not an outward-focused church. Oh, my. Can I tell you a crazy story? My 
my mother-in-law, what a great what a great soldier for the Lord. Her sister wrote Search for Truth. My mom-in-law taught more Search for Truth than anyone and really perfected the Bible study. And when she passed and we had a, a, an evening, a Sunday evening service where more people could come. And uh, back then, you know, in the heart of the pandemic and anybody see a crowd at church, what would happen is people just start pulling in. Whereas a family pulled in and our, our parking lot attendants smiled at them and said, hey, we're so happy you're here. They get out of the car and they walk them up to the lobby. And by the time they get to the lobby, the parking lot attendant said five people coming in. The man's name is Bob. The wife's name is Jill. They have three children. They've already communicated to the greeters in the lobby. In our church, everyone's a greeter. Everyone. Everyone's a greeter. You find people you don't know on Sunday. You don't hang out in a corner with people you know. Talking about the Blue Jays and those cheating Astros. You don't do that. Just thought I'd get that out of the way while I was up here. Yeah. You look for people you don't know. The greeters were welcome. Hey, come on in. We're so happy you're here. Now, oblivious, there were a hundred floral arrangements in the lobby. It smelled like a funeral home. All of the smell, I mean, the flowers, and they came through the lobby, and, and uh, they, as ushers found them a seat in the building, sat them down. It wasn't until they sat down and saw the casket up front that they realized we're in a funeral. People have been so nice to them, and they came in. But do you know they felt the presence of the Lord in that funeral? And that following Sunday, they were back, and we baptized three of them in the name of Jesus because of people. People that didn't say, who, who are you trip-trapping across my bridge? I don't know if you pass the good housekeeping seal of approval. You don't look grade A, pasteurized, homogenized, won't rip, tear, ravel around the seams. I don't know if you are one of us. If you don't have people, oh my, I'm, I'm getting so much in trouble. If you don't have people that look like your community, you're not reaching your community. Okay, all right. So what do we say? Here's what we got to do. There needs to be a great reset take place right now. We are in the mode. There is an openness to change that has never been seen. Not going to change the apostolic message. Not going to change our doctrine. I, aren't, I'm so tired of having to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because somebody will say, well, I know what he's doing, Myrtle. I know what that boy's doing. First of all, thank you for calling me boy. I mean, I, that I'm young again. But anyway, but <laughs> we're not going to change the message. Not going to change the lifestyle. But we are going to say we are the church of our community. I pastor the entire 
750,000 people in a five-mile radius. I am the pastor. They belong to me. Everyone I meet, they're a member of my church. They belong in my church. I don't care where they came from. They may worship in the Buddhist temple a mile away, but they're my saints. They may worship in the Hindu temple two miles away, but they're my saints. They belong to me. Somebody claim them. Somebody claim your city right now. Claim that city. Woo! I'm passionate about this, folks. I'm passionate about others because it brought our church back from the grave. And I believe others will bring your church back after this pandemic. I'll borrow a verse from First Corinthians. Forgive the U.S. reference that your noisy neighbors to the south. This was the first sermon preached in what would become the United States. The message was preached by Samuel Cushman the year after the Mayflower landing, sent from England to encourage the pilgrims. Forty-five of their number had died the first winter. Only 52 still lived. Graves surrounded their little village. I don't borrow the sermon so much. This first sermon in New England, this first sermon preached exactly 400 years ago this last December, I found and purchased that copy that you see recently, a unique historical treasure. Would you listen to the first verse preached in America from the first sermon preached in America and see if it doesn't resonate four centuries later. We should think, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, about others and not about ourselves. Others was the first sermon preached very close to where I was driving a dozen years ago and God started whispering into my spirit, others, 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 others. Samuel Cushman was saying, you've lost in number. You see the graves, you see the sacrifice, you see the struggle. But it's not just about you coming through it. It's about others who are surrounding you right now. This is the great reset that's needed coming out of the pandemic. Is we've got to get the why answered. Why are we here? We're not here for chicken dinners. We're not here for peanut brittle, although I do appreciate peanut brittle. We exist for others, folks. That's the mission of this church. We exist for others. That's the single thing that far supersedes why we do what we do. We exist for others. We exist for every soul represented by that flag. I'm so thankful for what Canada has done for global missions. I am so thankful for how you've invested around the world. You've cashed your bread on the water. I'll just prophesy it's coming back. It's coming back. We don't just give our dollars for missions. We have a mission. We are not waiting on revival. We are the revival. When we lift up our eyes to the harvest, we're going 
going to see others, 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 others. We, we don't do these screens. We don't do the music. We don't do the multimedia for fourth generation Pentecostals. We do it for others. We, we don't sing the songs we sing just so we can scratch an itch and raise some nostalgia and sentiment uh, from a day gone by. No, we're singing songs uh, that will resonate uh, with others. Uh, our services are not planned. I like two-hour messages. Most don't. We do this for others. Uh, We choose songs for others. Uh, Everything we do uh, is for others. Uh, We exist uh, for others. Uh, We're not here to pat old timers uh, on the back uh, and say, we're just here to make you happy. I'm not here to make anybody happy. Uh, I am here to comfort uh, the afflicted uh, and to afflict uh, the comfortable. Uh, I am here to stir up people with a passion for others. We have devoted ourselves to making strangers feel like they found a home, to turning outsiders into insiders, uh, to find the life change uh, and the testimonies uh, that come only through a relationship with God and obeying the plan of salvation. Think about others, others, others. William Temple said the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We're here for people who are not here. Oh my. Well, brother, brother girl, let's do a little micro row your boat ashore and sing a little kumbaya around the campfire. I know I don't have time for that. There's a world lost, dying, going to hell. I've got to save everybody I can save. I've got to reach everybody I can reach. I've got to find them. I've got to find them. I was exposed to Simon Sinek's writings in a recent graduate program I finished. He's a leadership expert, written some great books. He has a golden circle. He said every organization on the planet knows what they do. Some know how they do it. But very few organizations know why they do it. And why is the missing ingredient We start with the why. Great churches, great organizations, great district, great leaders, great ministries, great teams. Why do we do what we do? And the why is for others. Cynic's premise is this. Well, I'm I'm about to, I'm in so much trouble, I'm going to go ahead and stay in trouble. Is that all right? Well, Brother Gurley, we don't like outsiders coming to our events. We, We want our youth camps to be just those good godly teens we don't want ladies that are worldly coming to our ladies meetings we we don't oh that i'm telling you what i think that guy smokes cigars and smokes some other things too and he doesn't need to be at our men's meeting what would happen if we just said It's whosoever will, let him come, let him come. How are we going to change them if we're not rubbing shoulders with them? How are they going to see? I want to know why. I want to know why. I want to know why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why do so many guests walk into our churches and out without being changed? 
Why do so many church members live, grow old, and die without ever winning one soul and discipling one soul? Why do so many of us fail to be the salt and the light? It's because we forgot. We've fallen so in love with having church that we forget to be the church. We exist for others. And when you know it, that's God's heartbeat too. Others, others, others. You read about the shepherd leaving the 99 and going to the one. What if 99% of our attention was placed on finding the one? What would happen? I will tell you what would happen. There would be no more silhouettes in your church. There would be living people in 3D in your church. How can we do that? The secret of a successful life is not a winning personality, not attending the right schools. If you lean your ladder up against the wrong building, I don't care how high you climb, you're still going to be a failure. You need to put your ladder in the right place. It's others. Paul said, look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. It's a paradigm shift. It's one that I had to make 12 years ago. It was one of the most painful things to have the scales drop from my eyes to tell you, Ken, you've just fallen in love with having church. You've just fallen in love with the trappings of church. You need to dust off your home Bible study chart again, Ken. You need to get back out. You need to start your small groups again. Great churches don't exist for themselves. Uh, they exist for others. Great people, great preachers uh, don't worship at the totem pole of I, me, mine, and myself, uh, but they extend themselves uh, for others. Uh, Matthew begins with the great uh, commandment, love God with all of your heart, but it ends with the great commission, go, uh, go, uh, and reach all of the world. Uh, and unless your love uh, takes you to the place uh, where you're willing to see others, you've not made the trip yet. You've not made the gospel story. The unbelieving mob hurled one accusation after another. In the midst of Calvary, they said he saved others. Himself, he cannot save. They almost got it right. It's not he couldn't save himself. He could have called 12 legions of angels. Uh, but they got that first part right. He saved others others oh my oh my oh my god is so passionate about the lost i want to say something with humility but with clarity church is not about you it's about others Well, you know, we have two or three people that need harmonica lessons and, you know, they're, they're wanting to play the kazoo. And can't we, can't we start a class for kazoo, future kazoo? It's not about you. It's not about you unless you're going to win me some kazoo players. And I don't even know if I want them one. It's about others. It's about reaching the loss. Abraham called a friend of God, passionate about the souls of Sodom. When God confided in his friend what he was going to do, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed for the souls. 
when God told Moses, I'm going to wipe Israel out, you find the longest dash in the Bible. God, if you're going to do this, dash, take me with them. And he interceded for others. And it turned the heart of God. Oh, my. Oh, my. It's John Knox saying, give me Scotland or I die. It's Evan Roberts saying, bend us, O Lord. It's Jim Elliott murdered by a band of Indians in South America who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. After Jim died, his wife returned to the very group of people that has killed her husband. Oh my, what pleases God. We have a saying in our church. It's time to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Get outside of your comfort zone, outside of your ethnicity, outside of your language, outside of your age group, others in a community, others in an area of town that need God's love. Godly people don't cloister themselves away. They don't hide from people. To be godly means to love others. He loved others. He loved others. And he still loves others. And he loves his people when they love others. I believe there's a truth. There's a truth. Do you remember the wounded man on the Jericho Road? Preoccupied, self-consumed, Levite and priest. Went by, the Bible says, on the other side of the road. Oh God, put me on the right side of the road. Paul said to the Philippians, unsending Timothy. Because no one shares my concern for others like he does. Those who care seem to be in a minority. The majority aren't bad people. They're just preoccupied. Preoccupied. It was early in my ministry that my wife and I had the privilege of traveling. Worked at the district office there in Texas. And every weekend we traveled and Nobody knew us. We were just a young couple coming up to a church building with a couple of toddlers and all of the accoutrements associated with that and diaper bags and, you know, Sherman tanks and everything you need. And uh, I'm not judging anyone. We didn't expect, we didn't deserve any better. But never did anybody help us get into the church. Rare was the moment someone would open a door. Yeah. Rarely were we greeted with smiles. It was like a stranger. Folks, we're all strangers. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We don't belong here. We'd pay smiles on our face and say, what do you have a nursery, a children's class? Can you point us to prayer room? Where's the pastor's office, et cetera, et cetera. You get the picture. Forsyth said it like this. Churches are full of the nicest, kindest people who have never known the despair of guilt or the breathless wonder of forgiveness. Open our heart, God. Open our heart, Lord. In the last days, Paul said people will be lovers of self. When I said Sodom a moment, you think you know the sins of Sodom, but Ezekiel said the sins of Sodom. Here we go. You ready? Pride. Idleness. Fullness of bread. The sickness, self. The cure, others. 
God, open our eyes. Open my eyes. I want to see the harvest. I want to see the harvest. A dying Dr. Lyman Beecher. Lyman Beecher was the last Puritan in the United States. He had two famous children, one Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. When Lincoln met her, he said, this is the woman who started the Civil War. Other child was Henry Ward Beecher, the first mega pastor, mega church pastor in the United States in Brooklyn. When Lincoln met him, he called him the most famous man in America. This last Puritan was dying. And someone said, Dr. Beecher, you know a lot of things. What's the greatest of things? That dying preacher pushed himself up and said, the greatest of all things is not theology, it's not controversy, but it's to save souls. I need more laborers in the vineyard. At the sixth and the ninth and eleventh hour, I'm looking for laborers in the vineyard. Earlier today, I said, come back to the river. Would you come back to others as well? Come back to others. Come back to others. This is the reset. It's a verse that I read recently. It just touched me. Hebrews 6 and 11. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain what you hope for will come true. Whatever your dreams are, the key to unlock your dreams, it's others. It's others. I'm about to say something. I would rather attend church with messed up people who love God than with religious people who dislike messed up people. It's gotten to the place we started this 10 years ago. When someone comes to our church from another area, someone comes to our church from another church, there are 200 UPCI churches in Houston, another 200 apostolic churches. That means options. The largest church in Houston floats from church to church. And when some of them float into our church, the first thing we look at them and say, you passed 15 churches to get here. Let us give you the addresses of them. We encourage you to go. Those are wonderful churches. If they show back up, we say, if you don't love the lost, you're going to hate it here. Is that all right? Because... I'm not here to pat somebody on the back and just encourage you to make it into heaven. I need a soul-winning, discipling factory. I need ministry-generating ministries. Uh, oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. I want to see a church rise up in every corner of Ontario that says it's not about us. It is about us reaching this community. It's about us becoming the church of our community. It's about us changing lives. It's about us seeing. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, 
Would you just just lean forward right where you're seated. If you're standing, just put your face in your hands just a moment. I feel the presence of the Lord in this room right now. We've heard from the Lord. Mm. Both of these messages we've heard from the Lord. Would you just stand and just lift your hands, palms up. Just say, I'm receiving this, Lord. I'm receiving this, O Lord. Mm.
la 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 Musicians come. I feel the presence of the Lord here. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story that I'm going to give an altar call like what was given to me so many years growing up in an others-focused church. It happened not long ago in Panama Beach. It was during the COVID issues. Beachgoers heard two boys screaming in the water. They didn't know what was happening. Maybe a shark. Not a shark. A riptide had pulled the children from shore. Roberta Usre, the mother, said, not my boys. She dove in to rescue them. People shouted, go back, go back. She refused. Her husband dove in with her to rescue. When she got to her sons, three other would-be rescues were out there. Her nephew was there. Before she realized what was happening, all nine of them were caught in a riptide. Where two had been drowning, nine were drowning. From the shore, a woman named Jessica Simmons saw what was happening. She shouted to her husband, they're all drowning. She grabbed a boogie board, and while her husband and others started forming a human chain, Jessica started paddling toward the family, screaming, not today. Not today. This family will not drown today. Not on my watch. It's not going to happen. We're going to get them out. When she got to the family, they were close to drowning. Roberta, the mom, was saying, save others. Save the others. Don't worry about me. Save them one by one. Jessica took them by the hand and pulled them to the edge of a human chain. If you look carefully, you can see a human chain stretching 100 yards long reaching and rescuing all nine were saved the mother had passed out she didn't remember being saved but later in the hospital room when she was interviewed she said these people were god's angels in the right place at the right time we owe our lives to them without them we wouldn't be here all because she Jessica got on a boogie board, shouting, not today. And Jessica's husband started rallying everybody on the beach to form the chain. Where are the Rebecca's? Where are the Jessica's? Where are the Roberta's? Where are the Ananias? Where are the Ananias who will find that one 
Where is the Aquila and the Priscilla? Where, where is the person? Where's that Barnabas who'll say, I'll reach out to someone thought radioactive. I'll help. I'll bring them back. I'm just going to tell you something. Pastors, I want to tell you something right now. I just feel this in your community. There are other pastors of other faiths that are ready to convert right now. I want to tell you, they're there. They are there. I I, I will tell you, you are just one tweak from the greatest awakening and revival you've ever witnessed. And it's just a shift. It's a shift of focus. It's hitting a reset button and said, as we come back from pandemic, we're going to build a church that is devoted and dedicated to the community and reaching out to this community. And you watch what God will do. I'm about to give an altar call. I will not qualify it. I will not give the usual language if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe, and if it's okay with you. Uh, I'm not going to do that because I think it's about time we got over our fear of others. And I'm about to say if there's anybody in this building that'll say, you can think that I've gone crazy, and you can think that I no longer believe the message. But I am determined to be like Jesus and to hang out, hang out with those that are troubled and to find those people that have issues. Those are my people now. They are my people. If they have a need, they are mine. If they are struggling and have addictions, they're my people. I will stand up for my people. I will reach out for my people. They may not look like me. They're part of my tribe, though. I believe believe that God is calling us to get lost in the greatest revival that Ontario has ever seen. There are 15 million others in Ontario that are just waiting. They are just waiting for someone. Lay them on my heart today, God. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Oh, God, break up the inner springs of the deep, God. Break up this hardened shell in my heart, God. Take me, O Lord. Oh, God, I've become so inflexible, Lord. I've become so rigid, God. I've become so opinionated, Lord. Oh, God, crush me, O Lord, God. Shape me, oh Lord. I want to get lost. I want to get lost in the needs of others, oh God. Oh God, shed a tear for the lost in your community. Shed a tear for the confused and the angry and the addicted and the bound. Shed a tear for those nearby, for those in uptown, those in downtown, those in the condos, those in the ghettos. I will shed a tear. These are my people. These are my people. I'm the angel of this city. I'm the pastor of this city. We're the church of this city. They're all mine because they're all yours, oh Lord.
adorar 